Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The Jazz and the Utes take care of business. Not the biggest wins in the world, not the uh, best opponents in the world, but hey, there's some games you're just supposed to win, and the Utes at home against Oregon State, and the Jazz on the road in Chicago, they did they did exactly that. The Jazz beat another in a string of teams that has a losing record. Sure, they gave up an 11-2 run in the fourth quarter, but they held on and got the win by four points. And for the Utes, right now the Pac-12 projects with five teams to go to the tournament, so if you get one of the teams that is not projected to go to the tournament, and you get them at home, you need to win. Common sense says that's, you know, 25% one of the easiest games in your schedule, right? It's not a road game. It's not a home game against a tourney team. You got to get the win, and the Utes did. We'll get to more on those games coming up. Right now, though, we're going to talk some jazz basketball, big picture stuff. Uh, yesterday, late in the show, PK and I spoke um, with Michael Smith. And, of course, he's a jazz analyst on the, uh, on the broadcast, on the pre-half and post-game shows on AT&T. And we talked with him about the way things are going, the way things are going with the jazz bench. Here he is with PK and I. Michael, good morning. What's up, guys? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. The jazz are up 21-12. and 12. Winning games left and right, and they've got a bunch of teams with losing records right in front of them. Is it too much to expect yeah. now to just reel off a win streak? Because why give even one game back to those teams in front of you? you got second place is only two games away. Win, and uh, you'll be in pretty good shape in three weeks. Yeah, well said. Um, they've, really, they've really bounced out of that, that little – trip they took back east which i think really hurt their confidence a little bit they they you know they milwaukee and indiana and i think they went, they went to memphis and won but then they stayed out east and lost to philly and toronto and at the time those teams were all good at home right they're still good teams but like milwaukee toronto and philly at the time some of them were undefeated one maybe milwaukee had lost one so that was a daunting trip and they kind of came out of that, and I felt like, uh-oh, you know, it was kind of a slap in the face, and maybe revealed who they weren't. And of course, they came home and played the Lakers the very next game, which always feels like a road trip, and lost that game. But I didn't view that as too badly, right? Because the Lakers are like the one team I think they don't match up well against because of all that length, Davis and McGee, and of course the strength of LeBron. But they have responded beautifully. I think they've won eight out of nine, and as you say, maybe only Indiana in the next 11 opponents is has a winning record, and that game will be at home at Vivint. So, yeah, I mean, it's you can't say they're going to win all those games, but they got a shot to win nine of them. You know, there'll be some slippage, but wouldn't that be wonderful? And then, then they are looking at the three or two seed, and and they're right where we thought they might be. Okay, Mike, uh, everything you say is absolutely true. As I try to identify reasons, I'm going to give you three, and I want your response. One, Mitchell has elevated his game to an all-NBA level. Two, Joe Ingles as a starter has really flourished, and the team is better for it. And then Clarkson providing the punch that they needed off the bench. Those are my three reasons. All those things are are correct. Clarkson's a small sample, right? Only three games, but but 16 points a game, and, and what an astute move. Um, I've always said uh, fans in Utah will be able to relate to this. The best missionaries you know, were able to t- determine early on people they were teaching were progressing. The same is true like of a general manager, right? Like you, you, you have to understand 
which of your guys are going to become the guys you think they are? And so there's people who are sad that Dante Exum is traded. But you, you kind of have to move on from things that aren't working out the way you want, whether it was injuries that kept Dante from becoming who he was supposed to be or whether he just wasn't ever as good as the fourth pick in the draft and, and never going to be something. But the earlier in those cases that you move on and say, okay, I made a mistake, but a lot of people would have gone for him. Uh, way back when, the Clippers drafted a kid named Michael Olawakandi, and they were, they were just you know, cremated for drafting him, right? The number one pick. That's the same draft as Nowitzki and Paul Pierce. It was the year after Tim Duncan. But I guarantee you 29 of the 30 GMs would have drafted this kid. He was 7'2". He was running a five-minute mile. He had a wingspan of 7'7". He played basketball for only four years. Everyone thought, oh, my gosh, this is the next Olajuwon. And he panned out to be none of that. But the sooner you make a move, the better. And so, yeah, the, the Exum injuries probably didn't allow the general managerial staff to make a move sooner, but I applaud them. I applaud them for saying, hey, let's go another direction. Our bench needs help. Let's bring in Clarkson. He will help them. He's a born scorer, and we all know the bench needed a boost. Joe Ingles, guys, uh, I, I think – the last 10 games has averaged 17 points and five rebounds and five assists and shot 50% from three. Uh, whether that's related to the move to, to the starting lineup, I think it is because he felt more comfortable. What a brilliant move by Quinn and maybe necessitated by the Conley injuries, but still we've now discovered something and Joe's become Joe again. And for whatever reason, Joe was not Joe at the beginning of the season. He was awful. He probably would tell you the same, but he's better than he was the last three years, at least in this sample of the last 10 to 15 games. So when he's good, they're good. And finally, and not lastly, Donovan is, he's so much better than he was the last two years. And only in that span of six games that I mentioned earlier, when they went East, did Donovan kind of revert back to some of the moves and shots he was making in moments of crisis and tension in the last two years. He kind of returned to a floater. Maybe it was the size and length of a Milwaukee or Philly that, you know, I don't know, feeling like he had to do much of it himself. But his mid-range game, guys, is his bread and butter. His three ball has been incredible. He sh- I have him shooting over 50% from the field the last 13 games. And scoring at a clip that's, you know, better than a year ago, but it's, it, it passes the eye test, too. He's better. He's more of a leader. That game recently against the Clippers, he was phenomenal. And I live here in L.A., so people in L.A. were like, oh, that was the hangover after the Laker Christmas win, and, <laughs> and our guys had the flu. Baloney. That was a statement game. The Jazz can beat them. And I think the Clippers are the favorite to win it all just on paper, based on what they have. But the Jazz can match up with them, and they can beat them. And Donovan was terrific in that game. That little pump fake on Kawhi at baseline jam, that was an eye-opener. I think to the Clippers, to the league, to Donovan, to the Jazz. Donovan so humbly asked about it after the game by Kristen Kenny said, said, you know, I was just trying to make a play. I felt Kawhi near me. I pumped him. He wasn't even thinking dunk or tomahawk move. or you know, He was just like, I was 
going to go to the rim and get something good. That's a, that's a sign of of good things happening. So all three of those things are are all favorable things going forward. I just want to add one caveat to that because I largely agree with what you just said about the Jazz. But when it comes to Jazz and Clippers, I do believe the Jazz can beat the Clippers, and I think that's different than beating them four times. I'll sign off on the first one, but I'm not signing off on the second one yet. Yeah, they're good. The Clippers are good, and it pains me to say it. I mean, that's a team I worked for for 20 years, and uh, they didn't hire me back, you know, three years ago, So, uh, which is why I find myself working for the Jazz. I love that. But I find myself just, you know, I, I can't root for them. <laughs> I, I just don't like who they are as an organization and just kind of mean, nasty people at the top. And But whatever. Uh, I don't talk too much about that because it makes me sound bitter and angry and like I got a grudge, which I really don't. But I, 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 there's players they have I don't like. I don't like Patrick Beverly. I've never liked Kawhi, and I got no reason not to like Kawhi. That sounds terrible. I do like Paul George. Uh, I do like Zubats. I do like Lou Williams and and recognize his incredible skills, like to score the ball at his age. I mean, he's just an amazing scorer in our league. But uh, yeah, you might be right, DJ. There, you got to beat him four times, and and you'd hope to have home court advantage on him, but you may not. And so, yeah, that. But I do feel like Clippers and Lakers are the two favorites in the West. But I feel like the Jazz can be you know, a three or four seed, and then you got a shot, right? Then you got your great Utah crowd in a semifinal, conference semifinal, and at least three games in your building. And so I think it's it's all going to get exciting over the next three, four months. So when you speak of Clarkson with that short sample size, how legit do you think it is? Well, I think he was just mired in, in Cleveland in no man's land, right? It just – post LeBron and and there's a team going nowhere and it just was such a great move to go get him because he's always been able to score and I I had him here early at Staples Center in his Laker days and from the get-go he's a second round pick who just had a scoring mindset he's athletic he's unafraid which you probably saw in his first game some of the shots he was taking in his first game in front of the Jazz crowd I was like whoa mm-hmm. he's not coming in tentative so I just, I just think it's a good move. I just, I, I think it holds up. I don't know that it holds up to the point of 16 points a game, but I feel like Quinn and and the staff's going to give him a chance to be great. And on that unit, he's he's going to be called upon, and he has those abilities. It, it just gives the Jazz greater versatility, and their second unit was really struggling, and so they've. They've morphed into guys right before our very eye. Give Quinn Snyder credit. You know, an offensive juggernaut. That's who they've become. Last year, they're a defensive stalwart, right, with Rudy anchoring. But defensive-minded players, Crowder and Favors and Rubio, who are now gone, what they lacked offensively, they provided defensively. That's why the Jazz were number one ranked team defensively all year. And they were again this year early. But, man, they went through a stretch where they couldn't stop anybody. I think six of eight opponents scored 120 on them, and you were like, what's going on? But Quinn has adjusted, and Quinn said, okay, maybe that's not who we are personnel-wise. Maybe we're an offensive-minded team that can now shoot the ball. They've addressed their shooting woes. 
and they just light it up from three. And it's not fluky. Their three ball is not fluky. Joe worried me. But Joe has come back to his 40% career numbers, even better of late. But Bogey has been better than advertised. Or at least I didn't know he was that good. And I used to only see him twice a year, right? East Coast, West Coast. I was always covering the West Coast, so I'd see him a couple times. I thought, huh, this guy's pretty good. He's really good. Like, his shot is downright consistent. He shoots it effortlessly, so on nights when you're tired or you don't have great legs, his shot is ill-affected by, you know, the normal fatigue of the season. And he's better going to the basket than I ever realized. He's long. He's clever. Uh, I just, I got to applaud how they've morphed into what their personnel has asked them to be. Michael Smith, jazz analyst on AT&T Sportsnet, joining us now. Uh, so with Clarkson, does the league catch up to him? I mean, it's it was impressive, like you said, that he came out and so fearless. But you got to say that the opposing teams, these first three games, haven't really known how the Jazz are going to use him. So do you expect you expect other teams to handle him a little better? Or these 19, 20-point games he's put up the last two games, and that's kind of ballpark to what he's going to do. He, he, you got to realize if, if he's going to get the majority of his minutes against second units, there's a reason guys are on the second unit, right? They're not. They're not starting five caliber. They're not all stars. So, I like his talent and his you know his physical tools against second units. I think it holds up. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying he's Lou Williams and going to score 19 a game. He, he's not that type of shooter. But you, you you usually are what you are, and by this stage for sure. So, given new life and new opportunity, yeah, there's going to be a little euphoria initially and adrenaline pumping. But I think he's a, I think he's a 13 to 15 point a game guy for you off the bench, which is what you needed. I realize it's 16 point something through three games, but um, yeah, I think he is I, he is what he is. So with that in mind, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do they do? What do they do when Conley comes back, Mike? Uh, well, I think it's a blessing. It, it's kind of a nice problem to have if you're Quinn, right? you got Joe playing great in this new starting lineup. Now, this is my own opinion. I don't speak for the team, but what if you, what if you had Conley without being a sub, right? you got to start him. He's a 12-year starter in this league. you got to start him. So you can't demote him to the bench. But what you can do is alter the substitution pattern so that he kind of leads your bench, right? You can still start him and bring him the first one out, not unlike – you know what a Sloan did to Stockton. Sloan was so predictable in his and programmable in his substitution patterns. Probably why Stockton and Malone played for so long. You know, probably just got used to what they were. But I mean, you could start Conley and then rotate it such that he came back in with the second unit for the tail part of the first quarter, maybe the beginning part of the second quarter. I, I, I think it's a blessing. I think Mike is still trying to figure it out. You know, again, small sample. Mike was awful to start. He knows that. We all know that. He couldn't make a shot the first whatever games it was. Then then there's a 10-game run before his injury where he's Mike Conley, right? He's 
17, 18 points a game. He's 38% from three. He really was who he always has been. And you kind of took a big, you know, breath of relief and said, okay, this, this is who we got and traded for. And this is who we know he'll be. And of course, the injuries have not allowed us to see how that all progresses. So I'm surprised the hamstring has lasted as long as it has. But I think the re-aggravation has made them more cautious. And plus, they're winning. So there's no hurry to bring him back. But I, you want him, you need him. There's probably a clever way to use him and keep things going the way it is. And so I don't know. I, I would keep Ingles in the starting lineup. I would keep Conley when he's back and healthy in the starting lineup. You know, with Mitchell, with Gobert, with Bogey. Look at that lineup. That's almost a little death lineup with the shooting. Compare that lineup to last year's starting lineup in terms of the shooting. You got shooters other than Gobert everywhere on the floor and scorers. Uh, and then you can substitute freely, and maybe Mike's the first one out. Maybe he's the first one back in with a Clarkson and with a Royce O'Neal. And, you know, one by one, you bring them back. I think they're better. But, yeah, Mike's been a little bit of a uh, an enigma so far, but he's so full of character. I think in the long run, he proves truly who he is. There's jazz analyst Michael Smith. When we come back, the best of the jazz postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz survived a late 11-2 run from the Chicago Bulls. Bulls come back to tie up a game, but the Jazz hold on and get the win. Rudy Gobert with some big defense down the stretch. Here is the best of the postgame show. It's your Jazz Recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you, and the Jazz beat the Bulls last night on the road, 102-98. to They moved to 22-12 and on the season, and their road record now at 500 at 9-9. The Jazz were led by Boyan Bogdanovich's 19 points and 6 boards. Rudy Gobert had 17 points, 12 rebounds, and 3 block shots, including some just amazing defensive play in the uh, final possessions of this one. Donovan Mitchell had 17 points to go along with seven assists. Jordan Clarkson coming in off the bench with 12. George Niang might have been his best game of the year with 11 points. Uh, Tony Bradley was his best game of the year as well, six points and seven boards. And, of course, Joe Ingles, who you hear every week on DJ and PK 10 assists last night, to go along with his eight points on three of nine shooting. All right, let's get you some postgame sound. Let's start with the walk-off interview with one Rudy Gobert. Yep, here's my uh, elite analysis for you. That, your defense late, was awesome. Thank you. What's that like to can take a pl- those two plays like that? Levine goes oh. to the Donovan, gives him a hug. Uh, what's what's it like for you when Levine attacks you there, two-point ball game, you're at the rim, and you stop it? I mean, he's a very good finisher. And he's very athletic, you know, so I just try to make sure I, I don't foul him, and I, I try to beat him to the spot and contest the shot. And then on the final block? That was a pretty good flex on your part. I didn't want him to score on the last one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, you guys have won nine of ten. What are you noticing out of the group? Well, we just compete, man. You know, we got a group of guys that are competitive, and and I feel like we our togetherness, our togetherness is is at its best right now. You know, we we've been through some tougher times, and now you know we I feel like we embrace you know the the group that we have, and every night we just go and. And even if we we down 10, down 12, you know, we just keep grinding and and we get wins like that. How impressed were you by Tony Bradley tonight? Uh, it, was, it was huge. I think I think that might be his best defensive game that I've seen so far. You know, especially in the fourth, early in the fourth. Uh, I don't know how many shots he he, he challenged at the rim, but uh, you know, it's it's been great. He gave us a great stretch. Rudy, fabulous work. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That was Rudy Gobert with David Locke and walk-off interview. And again, Rudy, spectacular down the stretch with some defensive possessions. 17 points, 12 boards to go along with three block shots. Let's now let you hear from Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. And withstood their late run there. What went into this one, coach? Well, I think, you know, at the, they went on the 7-0 run to start the second quarter. And we came out of that timeout, um, you know, with a great mindset. Um, and we made things hard. I don't know how many points they had the rest of that quarter, but, um, you know, I thought we really picked it up. And then, you know, did it down the stretch defensively, they made a, you know, a couple threes off a couple of loose balls and then you know, saved one out of bounds and got a dunk. And, uh, you know, I thought we, we, we just stayed strong mentally um, and kept defending, and, you know, and had just enough to, to win the game. But, you know, give Chicago credit, their activity, um, you know, on the defensive end. And, uh, you know, they, they, they played well enough to win, and we happened to get the, get the win. Speaking of staying strong mentally, how instrumental was Rudy Gobert there down the stretch? Yeah, you know, the, defensively, as aggressive as they were, you know, you, you just have to get off the ball quickly and trust your teammates. And as the game progressed, I thought Rudy got more and more comfortable rolling, and we were able to find him, particularly Joe. Joe had a terrific game. Um, you know, just managing the game and communicating. I thought, you know, we did as good a job as we have all year, just staying, staying together and staying connected on both ends, um, even when things weren't easy. What kind of uh, changed the momentum in that third quarter when you guys went on that? Well, you know, part of it, you, you settle in in a game, and, you know, I think de- defense, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, and there's a lot of things that contribute to that. But I thought we did an excellent job on the defensive boards, you know, and that allowed us to get out. George Yang hit some big shots, um, did a terrific job. And I mentioned Joe, I think nine assists and no turnovers. So um, we had a lot of lifts from different guys. Emmanuel came in and gave us some, you know, some really good minutes. And, and Tony Bradley as well, you know, was able to you know, rebound the ball and, and finish at the other end. So, they, uh, you know, Jordan... You know, you ask him, he probably didn't play his best game, but, um, you know, being aggressiveness, or being aggressive from three and knocking down a few threes, everybody did a little something at a, at a given time um, to help us win the game. And that's how you win um, on the road. That's how you win close games. Coming off the game, only allowing 14 threes by Detroit, and they had, I think, 17 at the end of the first half attempts. What happened down on the perimeter? Well, some of it was transition. Um, some of it were breakdowns. We went under on on marketing one time, and he made a three. Um, I thought they did it. Like as I said, that you know, some of them were kind of broken play, loose balls. 
um, where we've got to come up with rebounds. Um, and some of them were just them spacing and us, you know, being cross-matched in transition and not being alert enough. So um, I, don't, I don't think fundamentally there was anything. Um, they're aggressive shooting them, too. That was Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after his team beat the Bulls on the road 102-98. Let's wrap up the locker room sound with Donovan Mitchell. Sometimes, you know, I think sometimes he kind of gets caught in between. And when he's decisive and just goes up there and just tries to punish people on both ends, you know, he turns into the all-star that he is. And, um, you know, nights like this. And then who do we just play? I think Detroit did the same thing. Like, he's, 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 uh, he's playing at a really high level right now. Coach said he liked the way you guys came together. What did you see there? Um, it's easy to fold, you know, on the road, first game of the road trip, right after the new year, you know, we're down 11. You know, it's easy to kind of chalk it up and say, I will go be ready for Orlando. But, you know, we, we stuck it in and fought back and continued to, to play. You know, Tony came in, gave us great minutes. George played out of his mind. Emmanuel coming in, pushing for Like, you know, you can go down and name so many different guys who contributed. Joe with his 10 assists, uh, Boyan closing the game out. Like, I think, you know, when you have guys that we all want to, we all lock in, especially on a defensive end, you know, Royce coming up with two great defensive plays, uh, big rebound. You know, obviously, Rudy with his blocks and whatnot, but like that's 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 who we need to be at all times, and you know, I think we're showing it in games like this. You guys shoot 15 in that third quarter where you kind of retake control. Were you yeah, were you feeling it out there? Was it was it that apparent? Um, I didn't even know it was 11-15, but you know, we moved the ball. That's really all it was. We were just moving the ball. You know, they want to take us out of a lot of stuff and trying to turn us over. You know, but being able to get off the ball, you know, make the extra pass, find open guys, and take the shot, hit the right shot. You know, that's that's what really you know, I think. Um, changes, you know, the offense, you know, sometimes we got a little stagnant, but we quickly got out of that and continued to move the ball and got what we wanted. It's huge. I think it's it's big time. You know, like I said, guys, we're gonna we're gonna all do our part. You know, and sometimes you know it'd be myself, it'd be Brian, it'd be Rudy. You know, but uh, it'll be a whole team. It's always a team effort. That's always the biggest. It's always gonna be a collective team team effort. And you know, like I said, you see Joe having ten assists. You know, we have Rudy having ten and ten or twelve and whatever it was. Um, George coming in doing this thing. You know, Tony playing great minutes. You know, I looked at he had like what six points, but it didn't feel like six. You know, it's a crucial six and then defensive plays. There's so many things you got you, you can chalk it to, but everybody's doing their thing in their role. From year one to year three, how do you think you've grown with your ability to control the game from the point guard position? I think just being able to slow down, you know, like not having to take certain, certain shots. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, being able to shot selection, you know, and being able to find guys who are open. You know, I can't remember the last time, you know, in a game like this where I, I, I shoot it all right, you know, but find the right guys make the right plays. You know, it's not always about going out there and trying to have 30. It's about going out there and trying to make the right plays trying to find guys who are open and slow myself down. There's Donovan Mitchell giving credit to his teammates as usual. Donovan last night, 17 points, 7 assists as he really made an effort to get everybody involved. Uh, tough for him down the stretch. Chris Dunn was playing some tough defense on him, but the Jazz found a way to execute, get the win, 102-98. to uh, Next up for the Utah Jazz, they take on the Orlando Magic uh, coming up tomorrow night in Orlando. And, of course, you'll hear it all right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There is the best of the Jazz postgame show. When we come back, the Utes, we put a wrap on the season at the Alamo Bowl. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to talk a little college football, a little Utah football with Frank Dolce, the former Ute quarterback, our Utah insider and analyst for the Zone Sports Network. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Frank, good morning. Good morning, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. I guess the question for you is, uh, what was the uh, immediate emotion for you at the end of the Alamo Bowl? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Well, it was a little, it was a little disappointing that the, uh, the way the game unfolded and the way that, that uh, it felt like Utah got, got beaten up and manhandled and and it so so and it turned into two kind of two games in a row of the same same thing. So I guess my immediate thought about that game and about the football team was even you know even in the midst of what is a really great football season and a really nice record, it's probably a good time to look back on especially those last two weeks and. Um, analyze where you can improve and as far as utah has come in the pac-12 conference and and as well as they've done the last couple years uh there's it looks like there's still you know work to be done how much do you think that this success of the season was built on inferior competition (laughs) i know you know that was one of the other things that kept crossing my mind as the game was was going along is you know what 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 is the competition level like in the Pac-12 what does that really mean on nationally if if you were to throw some of these other teams out against other you know competition outside of the Pac-12 um you know high level competition in the other conferences how would those teams fare and and so I, you know, I tried to do kind of a quick comparison. If, you know, if Utah played, like, if Utah played Texas's schedule, how would that look? And if Texas played Utah's schedule, how would that look? And you know, I, I'm not certain on the Utah side, but if I, if Texas played the way they did against Utah, and and then Texas played Utah's schedule this year, I'm pretty sure Texas would would come out of that schedule, you know, maybe with one, maybe two losses on the year. They wouldn't be a seven and five team. Mm. You know, they'd be an 11 and one or 10 and two team. So I think that certainly is something to consider is um, the, the level of competition throughout the year. So a seven and five Texas team um, playing in that conference looks a lot different than than maybe an eleven and one, eleven and two, Pac twelve, Pac twelve team. See, I think if they'd done that, I think that the Utes would have lost the three top ten games that Texas lost because they at LSU, Baylor, and Oklahoma. 
So you yeah. would have lost those three for sure. And then what would they have done with like uh, Oklahoma State, right? So maybe there would have been yeah. a fourth or fifth loss out there. Texas, however, in the Pac-12, I don't know that they would have run the table because Texas lost to a 5-7 and seven TCU team. So maybe Texas would have messed up against the middle of the league. And I think clearly, speaking for myself personally, I put too much stock in the fact that Texas lost two of their last three and three of their last five. Because then you get down to San Antonio, and as PK said earlier, he's talking to Texas media, and they're like, yeah, this team hasn't been healthy. This is the healthiest they've been. The break before the bowl game really helped them. They're like, well, that might explain how they messed up games at the end of the year. Because they, they, they couldn't beat LSU and Oklahoma, but I watched those games, and they hung with both of those teams. And the Utes didn't, hang, didn't hang with Oregon, didn't hang with Texas. It did hang with USC and then lost the game, but that was a one-touchdown game. The others were blowouts. So I guess the question then is, and you being a former quarterback can answer this, why couldn't the Utes solve Texas blitzing after the game? Zach Moss and Kyle Whittingham were both definitive. The constant blitzing, the run blitzing was a problem. They couldn't get a rhythm going, as Zach said. And that was a problem early in the year. And Kyle talked about it in post games, and he talked about it at his Monday press conferences. And it seemed to get solved over the course of the season. In the past, we've always blamed the quarterback, the receivers, and the passing game for big losses. But I think in this one, clearly, if you're going to go to one group, uh, the O-line just had to be better. How are they going to fix that going forward? Because four of the five starters are back next year. So how do you fix it? Does just another year with these guys do that? Yeah, I think a, I think a year, another year is certainly helpful. And that group has to become uh, more more physical up front. No, no question about it. Um, I, but but I also feel like Texas Texas sold out against the run. I mean, it's it's kind of the Kyle Whittingham formula. Uh, we're going to make you one dimensional and. We're going to take away your strength, and then, and then if you beat us with something else, and that's okay, we'll live with that. But we're going to we're going to make sure that you don't beat us doing what you do really well. We're going to take that away. So they sold it. So I, it feels like Texas sold out against the run, and um, and then weren't afraid of Utah's passing game. They weren't threatened by Utah's passing game. At least they didn't give that indication. Like they said, we're going to we're going to match up. We're going to just match up with people in the defensive backfield. We're going to put a lot of people at the line of scrimmage. And, and so if you're going to try and run against us, good luck. We'll, we'll let you try and throw against us, but, but we're not going to let you run against us. And then, and then uh, you know, when, when Utah did find themselves in a passing situation and, and Texas was still able to get some pressure on, I couldn't. It, it's hard to see downfield what's happening on the, you know, on the broadcast. So I'd, I'd still like to go back and see kind of a wider angle view. But it just felt like like uh, Tyler in the last couple of weeks didn't he, he didn't act like he did most of the regular season, and he, it felt like he was rattled and maybe a little panicked. And I think his numbers bear that out with with how many times he scrambled and ran around. And, and throughout the year, especially in the three losses, when when Tyler Huntley gets up into the teens and rushing attempts, or or nearly equal to what he was this game with Zach Moss and rushing attempts, those those games don't go well for Utah. So it was, it was you know it was a combination of Texas selling out against the run, and and then Utah not not necessarily being able to make Texas back off with some efficiency in the pass game. 
So there's no question that Utah's program is all sorts of solid, right? It doesn't have all this upheaval, the constant thought of, well, they need to change coaches, this and that. So they're in a good spot. But what needs to happen to elevate it more? Well, I think the talent, uh, the talent on the field is something to consider. It's really good talent. I mean, there, there's no question. The level of talent over the years has increased. It's probably increased kind of on a yearly basis. You could say the team's get, gotten more depth and and speed and um, athleticism and all of those and all of those good things. But let, let, let's look at the let's look at the three three losses. I mean USC USC is arguably the most athletic depth team in the in the Pac-12 and and that was a struggle for Utah. Oregon uh, you could you could make the argument Oregon is is right there in the top 2 or 3 in terms of athleticism and talent available on the field and and that was a struggle. And I would argue that Texas equals those those two in terms of talent, athleticism, uh, depth of talent on the field, and and that was a struggle for for, for Utah. So uh, if I'm just trying to do kind of a quick and dirty analysis, I think the depth of talent is one of the areas that can, needs to continue to increase for Utah. It's really good. I mean, it's 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 leaps and bounds better than where where it was in the early days, and. Um, it still needs to improve. So that's one of the areas I think that, that uh, the football program will take a look and say, yeah, this is we just need to get better in, in these areas. So for all the improvement that needs to be done, they're losing a quarterback who did complete almost three-quarters of his passes, and they're losing a running back who looks like he's going to play in the NFL and probably do really well while he's there. So they do have some talent to replace how close are they to replacing that? How much confidence do you have in the guys either behind them or the guys who are just joining the program? Well, I feel pretty good about the 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 offensive side. You know, losing Zach Moss is not easy. But I like the depth at the running back position. I think out of those, you know, three guys that are that are going to be around, at least three guys that are going to be around, then you have a I think you have a pretty good opportunity to replace the the productivity in the run game, and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's necessarily one guy that steps up or if it's a combination of those guys. But whatever it is, I like the depth of talent at the running back position, and there's some good, you know, fairly good indications from inside that that uh, the the quarterback position is in, in decent shape. I mean. Uh, you have Cam Rising, we've never really seen other than in in practice. Looks pretty good in practice. Uh, I know that doesn't always mean much, but looks pretty good. And and I think there's positive indications from from the from the staff about him and Shelley and and then the transfer from South Carolina. I mean, I think there's I think there's really good opportunity. Maybe another transfer. I, re- I think there's really good opportunity at the quarterback position. Um, I think the the wide receiver group is going to be fine. Uh, there's not, you know, there there might not be necessarily a a game breaker in that group, but I think Utah proved this year you don't necessarily have to have one of those guys to to be really productive. And tight end position is great. So and and offensive line should should improve. 
and they were pretty good this year. But I feel pretty good about the offensive side. I think if you're talking about losses and replacing people, uh, the defensive side is where you, you might have a little heartache because you're, you're going to have to replace a bunch of really good and really productive guys. And, and that's, that's, that's just not that easy to do with a nine and Botu and um, uh, Francis Bernard and then the two defensive backs. And I, I mean, it's just that there's a lot of talent leaving the defensive side of the ball. Yes, there is. Yeah. But the good thing is that historically they've been able to do that. So even though you're right, I mean, I can't argue the number of guys that they've replaced, they have to replace. It's probably, I mean, we may go two decades with having them replace this much talent, but they still find a way. Uh, it's funny because I come back to the default when I look at Utah's football program, I've always seemed to be more worried about the offense than the defense. And even though the numbers would indicate that that shouldn't be the case, that's still the way I feel. Well, I don't think you're wrong in that. Uh, so you, there's a significant interest level in the on the defensive side of the ball. There always has been uh, with, with Coach Whittingham at the helm. And I agree with you that year after year, with guys leaving the defensive side, they seem to be able to reload on that side with more consistency than they do on the offensive side. Um, and even with, even with all of that, I, I think you're taking a, a team that at, at each level, you know, defensive front, linebackers, and defensive backfield, where you're taking pretty significant hits in all of those areas. So um, I, I believe that there's talent available, and I know that they recruit to, to replace those guys. And even with all that, I, I still think that's the area that's, that's a little more difficult. And we did have guys, there were, there were guys that stepped up this year, no, no question about it. Lloyd was fantastic. I think we had some con, real concerns about the linebacker group, and that was a very productive. Those, those two were very productive this year. Um, so so there, there's a positive sign. Um, defense, I, I, the, the funny thing is I'm not as concerned about the defensive line. I think that's a position group that Utah always seems to reload. But the defensive backfield is, is one with, with Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman. Um, that's, that's an area that, that uh, maybe has me a little more concerned on the defensive side. So the Utes benefited from a South that was down. There's no question about that. Is the South still going to be down next year? Are they going to benefit again? <laughs> well, uh, let's see. I I think that Arizona is – I don't know if Arizona gets on track next year. Maybe they improve a little bit, but I think Arizona would probably be at the bottom of the, of the South. Uh, and then – I, I like what I like Colorado. I like, you know, kind of where where they were where they they're headed. Uh, they lose some guys though, but I like the I like the coaching staff and some of the things they did. So I think they'll improve. I'm not sure they're gonna, you know, beat down the door of it, of, of the conference, but 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 I think they're they're gonna improve. So uh, I like that I like that football team. I think Arizona State is one that's gonna contend. 
they have a bunch of guys coming back, and, and they, I thought they played really were very physical at the line of scrimmage. And I really love what Herm Edwards is doing. So I think they'll improve. Uh, UCLA showed signs. Um, and I just can't imagine with the ability to recruit and get talent there that they're, they're going to be down much longer. So I think that's going to be a, a, a tough out. UCLA is going to be a tough out this year. I, USC is the one that I, I – it feels to me like I – you know, Clay, Clay Helton's like the best guy around. He's, by, by all accounts, he is, he is one of the best guys around. And, and I think, but the knock on him is that he just, he doesn't necessarily maximize the talent that he has available. And even with that, he still has the most talent available. So uh, as much as you might be able to, maybe you can outcoach uh, Clay Helton at times, he still has the most talent on the field, so so that makes that always makes USC really tough. Um, and then I think Utah. I, I don't think Utah necessarily takes a step backwards, but but uh, I, difficult I, difficult to improve on on this team. So uh, I don't think the I don't think the South Conference is necessarily as it, it, I don't think it's it's. You can't walk through it as well as you did this year. I think that that the South Conference, the South Division, I should say, will improve. Uh, and and even with all that, I'd still put Utah in kind of the top three in the conference. I'd probably say Arizona State, uh, USC, and and Utah are your top three coming into this this football season in the fall. Frank, as always, we appreciate a little bit of time. Thanks for coming on when I know you're all beaten down because your youths got beat, but you, you came in anyway. Good work. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not beaten down at all. I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel, guys feel about it. It feels just a little bit like maybe Utah got exposed in areas in the last few weeks that, uh, that just didn't show up against, against uh, competition that wasn't as, as challenging. So... I think that just gives Utah an opportunity to get better and, and build on, on some of those areas. Frank, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Thank, thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me on. Great to talk to you. There's Frank Dolce, our Utah football insider, the former Utah quarterback. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines, the Utes and the Jazz in action last night. We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us.